A reading from the book of Psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not, not dark to you, for the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden, hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who will rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning again. Uh, this, this morning we're going to do something a little unusual. Typically I would get up here or one of our other pastors would get up here and I would deliver a message. And we are going to deliver a message, just a certain uh, different kind of message, if you will. Uh, this fall we've been working our way through the life of David, King David. And uh, we've, we've talked about him as a boy being called by God and him facing a giant, the boy defeating Goliath. And then last week, we talked about facing darkness and how sometimes like God being with us doesn't lead us uh, from the darkness, but actually into darkness which seems scandalous, right? How can a good, good father lead us into suffering? And what do we make of that? So we, we wrestled with that last week. Well, uh, to, to illuminate that, I've invited a friend from within our ranks, from within our community, to share a little of her story of facing giants and, and facing darkness. My hope today is that as you hear 
her story told, you will hear the gospel told, and your own heart will be opened wide for God to enter in. So let me start with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to invite my friend forward. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. And as we hear this testimony, I want to introduce this time at the very end of the Bible, when there's this cosmic battle, these words are written about the church. And they overcame him, the evil one, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Friends, let me uh, invite you to give a round of applause as I invite Sarah Jenkins to make her way forward this morning. And the first thing I noticed in the first service was uh, this. Can y'all get a, This has been through a lot. I think this is a Bible, but it's a Bible that itself has faced darkness. Um, it's a well-worn Bible, and I think uh, it's a testimony to your testimony. So uh, I want to begin by saying thank you and just invite you to tell a little of your story, where you were born and where you grew up and, and what that home was like. Is this on? Yeah. Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, so I am the youngest of six children, and both of my parents were um, alcoholics, uh, major, major. Uh, I remember moments where my dad was, you know, constantly passed out drunk, and um, nights where he and my mom would were fighting, and there was some physical abuse, and, and so that really kind of began my journey, and um, and so when I was six, um, and, and this all happened, um, actually, let me back up, it happened and I was born in North Charleston, so not far from here. And, um, and so when I was six, my dad left the family and left my mom to take care of six kids on her own. And of course, you know, my mom and her, and her own um, alcoholism and addiction, um, she did absolutely the best she could in that. Um, but there, are, there were moments where um, really it was more my older sisters were raising us and waking us up to go to school. And there was a moment I re or many mo mornings where I would run, you know, before we would leave to catch the bus and I would run down the hall and try to knock on my mom's door and wake her up because she was passed out from the night before. And my older sister would, would always, you know, whisper to me and say, Sarah, leave her alone, leave her alone. Don't wake her. You know, she's not going to wake up. And, and so I would oftentimes just leave for school and just very despondent and sad and you know because I wanted to see my mom that last um, that last mor moment in that morning but um so that began um, the journey and then when I was nine um, my mom packed five of us up and drove us uh, two hours away from home and then dropped us off in an orphanage and in my nine-year-old self I remember you know, just clinging to my mom and that, and, and even today, you never forget those, those traumatic moments in your life. Um, 
but I remember just, just trying to, she kept saying the words, it's going to be okay. And I kept asking her and thinking, why is it going to be okay? And like most of us in here, you know, your parents and you know that when you say something that your kids, they don't let you forget it and they hold on to everything you say and, and your word is your word. And, and so it was, you know, me, the same way for me and my mom. And, and my mom looked down at me and, and, you know, my eyes were full and, and tears and we're all crying. It's a big mess. And, and she looks down at me and she says, Sarah, it's going to be okay because I'm coming back for you. And so with that promise, um, I began a new journey and, and I let go and, and I put my hope in her promise of, of returning. And so raised in a home with addiction, broken family, uh, you're dropped off at an orphanage um, in, in, in some sense abandoned, uh, weeping as a nine-year-old little girl. And, and so your, your life shifted to where it was you in a home, a group home. What was that like for you to grow up in a group home? What did, you know, uh, that experience kind of foster in you? Yeah. yeah, so there's a saying I have, and that is simply the, the moment I became an orphan was the moment I felt like one. And it didn't take long to go to school and to instantly brand yourself in shame and to realize how different you are from everyone else. And so I began the nightly ritual of crying myself to sleep at night, calling out to a God I didn't know. And, you know, and, and those questions of God, if you're a good God, then why would you let this happen? Very human moment for all of us. And, um, and so I wrestled in my shame. I used to pretend. I made up stories to the kids at school. I used to say, my mom works in a flower shop and my dad owns a construction company. Um, and, you know, but everything was a reminder that, um, that, or that I was different and that in those feelings of inadequacy that, um, you know, I'm not enough and um, that there is something wrong with me. And it would be the simple things like, you know, when a teacher sends home the permission slip to go get signed by the, you know, by your parents so you can go on the field trip, you know, well, I didn't have a parent to sign my permission slip. So it was, you know, very isolating. And so I struggled with that, but I held on to the hope that my, that my mom was going to come back. And, and um, do you want me to go into that? Yeah. Talk about yeah. What, what you did to try to get her attention. Yes. And so, and so I lived for that day. And, and so when I was 11, two years had passed, and my, the telephone rang, and my house parent came running down the hall and said, Sarah, come quick. Your mom is here. She's at the front office. And, and I was so excited because I knew, like, this was it. This was the day. And this is the, the day I'd lived for and had put my hope in. And, and that, you know, this was the moment that would, that would fix everything that was broken. And so I ran up to the front office, and there was my mom and all my brothers and sisters. And, and in case you're wondering, we, we were all separated at the home. We didn't live in the same cottages because you're separa separated by ages. And, um, and so anyway, so when I saw all my brothers and sisters, and everybody's happy to see her. My mom was just this beautiful woman and um, just slender and blonde, wavy hair. She kind of looked like a soap opera star and, in my mind. And, but there she was, and, and so I was really happy to see her. And, and so the, uh, the social worker came in and ushered us into the conference room. And I remember holding her hand and just feeling like I, I can't really get enough. And, 
and um, and then within moments they uh, they told us the news and and that was um, that they did have news but it wasn't good news for me and that my mom had come back to take two of my siblings and she left me and my twin brother and my oldest sister Mandy so I didn't get emotional in the first <laughs> service but here I'm emotional so so what did that what did that do to an 11-year-old Sarah? Yeah. Um, you know, I remember we all just begged her to take us back with her. And, and I think what was hard, really, in that moment, knowing the dysfunction of the dynamics of the, the family, was that she had taken the two home with her that she favored. And, that, and so there was that element of rejection and... You know, I think in the back of my mind, you think, well, my mom has to love me because she's my mom. But at the same, I knew that she didn't choose me. And so mm. it was, um, I think, you know, we always see the grace of God by looking backwards. And I'm, you know, in that moment, where was God? And he was there. Rejection or abandonment. Um, you know, he he's begins to just put the people in your life to just just kind of love you with his love and sustain you in those moments and that's what he did because I spent a lot of years a lot of years writing her letters chasing after her like any child would do and um, she would respond and tell me that she was going to come visit and and then I would wait all day on a Sunday and um, and look out the window and and uh, realize five o'clock had come and she wouldn't she wouldn't show up that day so constant disappointment and um, as many of you probably are sitting here knowing, I mean, it's just, um, I think we, we know what that feels like, disappointment. And, um, and so I was wrestling. And so then um, some time had passed, and what ends up happening is my oldest sister graduates, and then my twin brother couldn't deal with the rejection and was having a really hard time. And so he rebelled and got in a lot of trouble, and then they ended up kicking him out of the home. And so at this point, I'm 13, all alone, and figuring out what to do next. And you did make a choice, right? So, like, the, the disappointment, the abandonment, the sadness overwhelmed you, and you thought, if I could only do X, and then you pursued that. So what did, what did you do as a 13-year-old? Yeah, so, you know... I was extremely angry, extremely frustrated because my twin brother was really all I had. And when he was gone, I just thought, well, my only answer is to run away. Because if I run away from the home, then they'll kick me out because they had a policy that um, if it's a, um, anyway, they, basically if you run, run away, they, they kick you out of the home. And so I ran away, and this is a true story, we, with a few other girls, and we hitchhiked with a truck driver, and, and he actually brought us back to Charleston, and then we stayed in a friend's camper, and we were gone for a few days, and, you know, really just, I mean, again, looking back on the grace of God, like, he shielded me in that because there was a lot of protection, but just trying to figure it out, and just trying to make my way back to my mom, I remember, I didn't mention this in the first service, but we, um, we kept, I kept trying to call her when we had run away, and I didn't get her, but, but we end up going back to the home, and I sat on my bed, and all the girls that we had run away with, and the phone just kept ringing, and it was, they were just being discharged one by one, 
And I couldn't wait for that moment because I knew that if they discharged me, I was going home because I was a private placement. And so I waited for my turn, and instead of the phone ringing, the uh, president of the orphanage showed up at our doorstep of our cottage and, and, um, and asked to speak with me. And so I sat down on the front porch, and, and he asked me, he said, you know, what's going on? And I just said, I just want to go home. And he goes, well, listen, he said, um, you can't go home. He said, you have two choices. And um, he said, your mom won't take you back. So you have two choices. I can send you away and you can go through some foster homes or I can give you a second chance. And I have to tell you, I experienced the grace of God without knowing what the grace of God was. I experienced it through this man because I believe that God was working on my behalf that when he got that list of those kids that had run away, that God spoke in his ear, and when he came to my name, that he said, not this one. She needs grace. And so it, I think that God used it to prepare my heart for what would happen next, and, um, and that is simply that at 13 years old, we went to a youth rally, my cottage, and, um, and I sat in the back pew of the Baptist church, and I heard the gospel, and the gospel is, it's good news for a reason. And I was told that, um, that I, because of sin, have been separated from God. But I was created to know him and to walk intimately with him in a loving relationship with him as my father. And that Jesus paid the price and, and made a way for me to be reconciled to my father in heaven. And the piece that the Holy Spirit used to convict my heart was simply the words from the pastor when he said, so if you want a better life, if you want to change life, receive Jesus and trust him. And so, and so I did. And I have to tell you that I sat back there in my uncertainty, but full of his just overwhelming love for me in that moment. And I remember saying, I don't know if everything that they're saying is true. I don't even understand it all. But God, I'm going to let you prove yourself to me. And so at 13 years old, I began my journey of faith and, um, and uh, started walking what I would say a lighted path out, out of the darkness. So as a recap, you, you had grown up kind of with darkness around you, brokenness around you, and then discovered to your horror the brokenness within you. And then light pierces the darkness, and hope shows up on that day, and things started to change. They weren't perfect, but talk from that day kind of onward what your journey looked like. Yeah, so I have a saying, and that is simply, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be teachable. And one of the things I often remember is when Jesus was watching the, washing the disciples' feet, he talked about... Um, he says, you, you call me Lord and teacher. And that, that's really kind of what began my heart posture of just, okay, God, I want you to teach me. I want you to lead me. And, and that's exactly what he did. When we open ourselves up to his leading on how to walk, um, he puts the people in your path to help you and show you how to do that. And that's what he did. I had started playing basketball at the, at the home and discovered that I had a gift for it. 
And so one of the things that God did in playing basketball was he brought a two-time All-American basketball player, Martha Parker. Um, for those of you that are Gamecock people in the room, if you walk into the Colonial Center, you know that there's Martha's picture. She's, she was number 13, she was a, and her jersey is retired, and she was a, one of the best basketball players that played at South Carolina. But she loved the Lord, and she would come and spend time with me and, and take me away on weekends and, and really just begin to mentor me and disciple me. And, and so I, I kept trying to just, um, you know, I would meet and sit with my house parent and just learn from her and, and started listening to Christian music. I know, kind of crazy, right, boys? But I did and, and just tried to, um, to really just go deeper with God. And, and, and one of the things that God did as well is that there was this couple that worked at the home and they, um, they were believers and they started taking me away on weekends. And, and, and so what's cool about that journey is that God began to put the people I mean, he had already been planning the people, but he continued. But because I was teachable um, and I could really learn from them and, and I just felt like that my path was, was more and more lit and the healing in my heart, um, the, the wounds were beginning to heal over time as well. And so when I was 16, though, like any child, I still just wanted to be part of a family. And so... Uh, in high school, I was like the superstar athlete and basketball, cross-country track, MVP. We just won the state championship. I was starting to receive letters from colleges to play at the Division I level and also run at the Division I level. And so all these great things are happening in my life. But at the, the core of my being, it was I still just wanted a family because I believe truly that a family would complete me. And so at 16 years old, this family that had, that had been kind of pouring into me had, had opened up their home to me and brought me in as their foster daughter. And, um, and so that part of the story, I would just simply say, so from 16 until I get to college, um, it, was a, it was a picture that, as I think many of you are sitting here thinking, God is so good, you know, that, that he did that, and he did. And I learned a lot of great things, but... But it, there's a greater truth that the Lord wanted me to learn, and that, um, and, and the, I guess the, the way to say this most is that I think that their intentions were really good and that they did a lot of great things for me. But the truth is I really suffered in that foster home, and I endured a lot of emotional abuse, and there was a lot of hurt in all that. But the beauty of all of this is, and, and I, I really just, he's so faithful is that it didn't matter how many, um, how many times I felt wounded by a harsh remark in the home by these you know, Christian parents, it didn't skew my view of who God is. And I think that's a miracle because I think a lot of the times that we, we, off, we, are, we are supposed to get our view of God from, from his people. But I kept my eyes on him, and, and there were some young life leaders that I kind of cling to and, and other families and, and just other believers that I really just tried to learn from. And, and just, I just wanted God to still be God and, and, and trust him wholeheartedly in the pain of all that. So, um, so yeah. And, and I think you've shared with me how learning that no human relationship has the capacity to meet your longing and your need for love. Um, for the sake of time, I, can you fast forward to now? 
Um, just so some of you know this, some of you don't. Sarah, uh, we said last week, uh, it's through darkness and despair that God actually develops us to love others. You know, your misery can become your ministry. It can become your testimony if you allow it. And uh, if you think this Christian God is all polished and pretty, you, you don't see Jesus suffering for us and with us. You don't get it. You've been sold a false gospel. And so we looked at David in the cave, and God actually didn't abandon David in the darkness. He was raising him up in the darkness to be king, to shepherd. Um, we don't have time to get into this. Sarah is an evangelist and travels around the U.S. preaching the gospel and sharing her testimony. But you shared something in the first service that was much more personal about your mom and the relationship now. Can you tell us what has happened with your mom? Yeah, so I got married and, um, you know, there's the tendency, I think, for all of us to kind of just, let's just dismiss the past and let's just move forward. But as believers, when we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray, and that is, God, what is your will for my life? And I have to say that that was always my prayer from the time I became a believer. As a married woman, I continued that prayer, God, what is your will for my life? And he began to bring the picture of my mom to me. And as much as I wanted to just kind of let all of that be the past, he called me to enter in. And so he simply whispered to me and said, I've called, I need you to honor her. And I'm kind of like, what? And, um, and it, you know, in scripture, it says, honor your parents. And it doesn't say whether they're a good or a bad parent. And so he taught me that. And he told me to, he wanted me to pursue a relationship with her. And so I was, I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me what that looks like. And so that's what I did. I began to pursue a relationship with my mom and I, I began to call her and, um, and really connect. And I have to tell you, it was really hard and difficult because she was the same woman. She was, she was manipulative. She was hard to talk to. She was very self-centered. She was very lost and broken. And, and so the, the really neat part of the story, though, is that I continued, the, the more I felt the, the, the spears, short as, so to speak, as David experienced this, the, the spears thrown at him, the more it, it caused me to go back to the gospel. And one of the things that God showed me was in Psalm 2710. And it says that, um, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And what that means, though, is that though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. God all along wanted to take possession of me. And he wants to take possession of all of us. And there, as long as I'm still, you know, though my mother and father forsake me, my husband will receive me. Or though my father and mother forsake me, my friend will receive me. There's no one else that's supposed to be in that place. And so when I finally came to terms with, you know, it's not my foster parents that are to receive me. It's not my mom. It is the Lord who will take ownership and possession of me and that I belong to him. He, I found that I was really more free to really love my mom with his love and, um, and do anything he asked me to do. And so he reminded me of 2 Corinthians 5 that says that, um, that we, are, we have all been reconciled to God as believers and that he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And my mom is not exempt from that. She too deserves to know Jesus. And so one of the things that I did 
when I started pursuing a relationship with my mom is I started sending her cards in the mail. And I don't know if you, how many of you pick out cards, but I'm a card girl. And so I always look for the perfect card. But I found it to be a little difficult because they say the, the most beautiful things. I'm like, no, no. And so, um, and so then I had to go back to, to the gospel of grace and say, God, what do you want to say to her? And, um, and so he, he gave, showed me this card. And this is a card that I have given to my mom. And it says, Mom, know what I love about you? Absolutely everything. So many times I'm asked, how can you give your mom a card like that and mean it? And the truth is, I've laid down my life for Jesus. And when we can rest vertically and be his child, God can ask me to do anything. And I do mean that because God says the same thing about me. And he says the same thing about her. And, and the beauty in all of this is that she is now saved she is walking with the Lord. I mean, I wish I had my phone to show y'all some of the text messages that she sends to me. And so it's, it's really a, a, a powerful story of, is God at work? Yes, all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and our job is to um, lean into him and, and, and stay faithful and let him do the work as we, as we do our part in, in loving others. So. so to close this time, two questions. What, what would you say? to the nine-year-old Sarah when she's being dropped off at the orphanage? So he asked me this in the first service, and I thought about it again, and the answer is the same. The, the, the thing, and I actually am leaving tomorrow to go speak to some kids that are growing up just like I do, so I, I spend some time, and I, and I look at them, and I just want to say, there is one truth for you, but there's only one, and his name is Jesus. And at the end of the day, he's really all we've got. He's the only unfailing love that you'll ever experience. He's the only one that's, that's, that will be there and be there and show up and show up. And so to put your hope in Christ is, is really receiving the gift and the promises of, of God's presence in your life. And, um, and so, that, so none of us are without hope um, because of Jesus. Last question, for those in this space, in this room, that are struggling even listening to this message, that have darkness, they're facing darkness, they know that room where there's no light, be it spiritually, emotionally, physically, what, what would your invitation be for them today? Surrender. Surrender. I think the enemy deceives us and think, and, and we think that we have surrendered the circumstance or the person, and we haven't. So I would encourage you to surrender and, um, and allow yourself to fall apart so he can put you back together, um, more beautiful and more like him. And the second thing I would encourage you to do is to surround yourself with people that walk close with Jesus. Christians, we, we, we love you know, we love to help people and we love to give advice. But what I've learned is that sometimes we can give bad advice if we don't know the word of God and we don't um, walk in the spirit. So for those of you that are really struggling, one of, the, one of the best things after you surrender and you're willing to do it God's way and walk close with him, I would tell you to 
to figure out who those people are God has put in your path that can give you good, sound, biblical, God-fearing advice on how to walk it out. So as David was fleeing from Saul, coming full circle, he's anointed to be the king, yet he's fleeing for his life, facing darkness. He, he wrote these words, Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. Yet when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. Uh, let's close this moment with a time of prayer. So please bow with me. Uh, and as, as I issue this short word of prayer, if you're facing darkness in any way right now, and you long to surrender and uh, cry out for God's grace, I, I just invite you to open up your palms in a posture of surrender as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search us and know us, and you would rip open our hearts that we would receive your grace and your mercy and your love in all its fullness right now. For those who are facing darkness in their persons, in their homes, in their workplaces, in their worlds, God, we pray that they would know your love that actually doesn't uh, hide from the darkness but actually enters into it for us to be with us Give us fresh ears and hearts and eyes to see and to be with you right now. We trust you in the darkness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.